Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome into the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for the next hour before we get you over to Sabres pregame as the Sabres get ready to take on the Colorado Avalanche out in Denver. 9 o'clock puck drop, 8 o'clock pregame. I'm kind of glad we're getting back to a little bit later hockey games. It's, it gives me something to do. I'm up too late and it gives me something to do. Hang out, have a beer or two and just kind of relax, kick back, and then I'll go to sleep. But when it was like 7, I'd finish the game and I'd still be like, all right, I'm not tired yet. I don't know. Something to do. We do have some breaking Sabres news from about a minute ago. The Sabres tweeted out they've acquired defenseman Joseph Sassoni from the Dallas Stars in exchange for defenseman Oscar Laxanen. So, little trade, nothing crazy, not a trade I know many Sabres fans would probably want, and that includes with a team from Arizona. I know that's kind of been something that's really been talked about, namely defenseman Jacob Chikrin. But, you know, it's something, especially in a time, especially in the sport of hockey, where trades are just not a thing. Not until really the deadline. Teams are just not biting, which is something that's very, very frustrating to me as somebody that does like to wheel and deal and make some moves. I enjoy that in my sports. But at least it's something, at least it's movement. Maybe that means something more. But it's not really a big trade up to this point. We will talk a little more Sabres as the hour goes on, but I do want to start with football. Of course, this Saturday night, the Bills host the Miami Dolphins in what could become maybe the division-clinching game. Not officially, but the Bills do beat the Dolphins this Saturday. It kind of it closes the door almost all the way. Like 85% of the way it closes it. Maybe even 90 for the Bills taking the AFC East and really starts pushing forward the idea that they're going to lock down the one seed. Now, with that being said, they still have to play a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, who have seemingly just owned the Kansas City Chiefs the last three matchups. That one's going to be tough for the Bills to deal with. I, You know, the Bengals, to me at least, have the highest upside of any of the Chiefs, Bills, and Bengals. Of, all, of those three, the Bengals have the highest upside on offense than any of the other three, at least this year. Last two years, it could be debated. It was the Chiefs and Bills. Obviously, we saw that last year in the AFC Divisional Round. But at least right now, the Bengals feel like they have the biggest oomph. Where the Bills and Chiefs are both kind of struggling a little bit. They're both around the same in terms of offensive numbers. But they're both, they're still winning games. They're still the Bills and the Chiefs. They're still two of the best teams in the NFL. But to me, the Bengals, they just have the harder punch. And that's a lot to do with the fact that I think they have number one, the best running back of any of the three teams. 
Isaiah Pacheco for the Chiefs is going to, I think, maybe make a run for his own money next year, but right now it's still probably Joe Mixon. And in terms of number one receivers, it, for me it would be Jamar Chase and Stephon Diggs. I, th- I would put St- Diggs over Chase right now, which is an all-around receiver. But then you get to T. Higgins. Then you get to Tyler Boyd. And it starts to really open up where the Bengals, just on their day, can kill a team. But we're not focusing on the Bengals right now. We actually have another game even in between that where the Bills will take on the Chicago Bears, which I don't want to say any game feels like a for-sure win, but that one does. Now, with that being said, the story of this game is the weather event. I'm going to use weather event. I think that's probably not the right word to use or the right phrasing to use, but it's definitely going to be a snow game. That is 100% almost assured that it's going to be a snow game, and it should be fun to watch on TV. I'll be, you know, happily in my studio here and just kind of watching the game. I won't be cold, but there will be fans because it's a Saturday night and it's fun, it's exciting that, you know, it's going to be, I think, for a lot of people, a very, very memorable game. So I do kind of want to talk about, like, some of these, like, weather games, the snow games, you know, the rain games and stuff like that and kind of, you know, are they actually fun? Like, do fans have a good time in these weather events? So tweet at me, at Zachary Jones 198 your favorite weather game that you went to. I've kind of been to two in the last two years. Last year's Houston game at home, and then I went to Baltimore this year. Baltimore, less so. It wasn't really a weather event. It was just more kind of like a cruddy day. You know, rain on and off, kind of cold, and you just were more uncomfortable. The Houston game, though, I will say I had a ton of fun. It was a rain monsoon. I want to say it was week four or five. One of those two, but it was just, it was a gross day outside. No one could really do anything, but the Bills actually were able to do quite a bit on offense. Like you going into that game, you're thinking, Ugh, run the ball, ball's going to be wet, the whole thing. And it, it kind of started off that way. Allen had an interception, I think, on his first throw of the day, maybe even the second, one of the two. But then they just, they piled on to the uh, to the Texans. Spencer Brown kind of had like his, I guess, fun moment where he did the you're too small to one of the Houston players on defense. And Dawson Knox had a great touchdown. And it all and it was it was an easy win, but I just I remember like just being drenched, soaking wet. Hadn't been to a Bills home game in three, four years at that point due to COVID and then just time, you know, management and stuff like that. And for like two years I had gone, it was me, my dad, and my uncle, we would go out to a bar watch the games. I mean, we did that every single week. So I just Hadn't been to a Bills game in seemingly forever. And that was the first game we had gone to in like three years. And it was, it, but it was a fun time. Like, I'm going to remember that game probably for the next 30, 40 years just because it was a fun time. I went with my whole family. And the weather played a huge part into that. My brother went to two games last year. He went to the AFC wildcard game, the incredibly cold game. And he still to this, I mean, like a year later, still talks about how like he wasn't even cold. Loved every second of it. It was amazing. It's top five memory for him in his life. And it, weather games do play a factor in that. Like, as much as you get nervous about them the whole week leading up to them because you want your team to play its best football. I know a lot of people still bring up the Dome and, and you want no outside factors. But I know there's uh, there's probably hundreds of Bills fans that their favorite game of all time is a weather event. Is is some crazy storm or snowstorm or, or freezing cold that they're just like, no, it was unbelievable. You know, me and my buddies got a little inebriated, and we just had the best time of our lives. So tweet at me, at ZacharyJones198. What's your favorite weather game story? Do you even like these weather games? I'm somewhat lukewarm on them. As much as I liked the Houston game, there's a part of me that's like, eh, but I would have I been happier if it was just not sunshine, but like cloudy, a little lukewarm. 
and I just, you know, I could sit back and enjoy the game. Up to that point, I've yet to actually be to a weather game. Every single Bills game up to that point that I'd gone to, sure, maybe it was a little cold, but nothing crazy. And oftentimes I go early in the year. If I if I do go to a game in the year, it's oftentimes early because, you know, quote unquote, I like to enjoy myself. I don't really want to worry about bundling up or, you know, getting a heater and, and, and making sure I'm wearing all the correct, you know, gear to go in there. I'm like, I just kind of just you know, at worst, put a hoodie and jeans on and just go in there and like watch the game for three, four hours and go home. Like, I don't want this whole song and dance to get there, but I think they have their place. And with that being said too, there's also got to be the mystique about it. Last year, the AFC wildcard round had a mystique about it. It was going to be so unbelievably cold. How are people going to deal with it? How with the you know, Bills offense going to deal with it. High-powered, they're a little flashy, they like to throw the ball a lot. Is this going to be an ugly, grinded-out game? Are we going to see the best? And then, of course, the mystique of it and, and sort of the legend is the perfect game. The offense goes out and has just an unbelievable day that was unrivaled up to that point by basically any Bills team. And I think only two other quarterbacks in NFL history had even had a stat line that Josh Allen does that day. But it also got built up because of the wind game where just it was gale force winds and there was just this huge lead up after that that you know what was what was this going to be i'd even say the chiefs game from last year in kansas city it was not in buffalo but in kansas city of the rain delay due to thunder yes but there was just unbelievable amounts of rain i had a friend go to that game and she said it was unbelievable how much fun it was and you know having to go out to the concourse and then come back in and and yes the bills were winning and they were playing well like they played well through the weather and then, of course, the famous one, and one that many people are comparing this to, it was in the, I want to say the drought ending year, right? So 2017, when the Bills beat the Colts in what was turning out to be a huge year, or it turns out to be a huge game for the Bills in terms of them ending the drought, and they win it in just this snowmageddon-type year, or snowmageddon-type game, where it's just, it's ugly, it's gross, Tyrod is hurt going into that game, so it's Nathan Peterman, and it's just it's this whole thing. It ends thirteen to seven in overtime. Lashawn McCoy has the game winning touchdown, and it's just it was just gross all the way through. But I remember watching this game and just being like, eh, "This is cool. Like I'm kind of digging this. Like this is just a blast. This is a ton of fun." And I think I'm gonna kind of have the same feeling going into this game too. Where it's just gonna be, it's gonna be fun. We're gonna see what happens. McCoy, wow, end of that day, thirty-two carries, one hundred fifty-six yards, and a touchdown. Nathan Peterman, five for ten, fifty-seven yards. He did have one touchdown. I do remember that to Calvin Benjamin. I remember he threw that pass, and I thought, no way they're throwing that ball the whole time. I was just, I was stunned they were throwing it because it was, it was, I think, well over twenty yards. It was an eight-yard touchdown. I'm very clearly misremembering that. But I thought for sure it was like this this bomb that I'm like, what are you doing? Eight-yard touchdown. It was definitely a lofted pass, though. I'm I'm not misremembering that. But it's interesting like how these weather games get portrayed. I'm I'm you know, I'm watching a lot of the national media and when they do talk about this game, it's kind of the same thing that we're all talking about, which is leading into this game. Like, are you worried the Bills won't be able to do what they want to do on offense? Are you worried that it's going to take away your best ability and now you're just, it, it's kind of up in the air who's going to win this game? A lot like that Colts Bills game was, which was absolutely completely up in the air. No one could do anything. And you were just hoping your team was the one that came out with a win. And for the Bills, it was massively important to ending the drought. 
at the time, it just felt like, oh, just get a win, I guess. I mean, like, just figure it out. You know, going into that game for the Bills, they were 6-6, six and six, had just lost to the Patriots, 23-3. to three. And they they were sort of up in the air about what they could do. They lose that game, they go to 6-7, and seven, and ultimately they end up losing to the Patriots again in Week 16, 37-16. They're not making the playoffs there. They're going to probably end the year 8-8, eight and eight, and they don't make the playoffs. That game was huge to them breaking the drought, getting into the playoffs. I think ultimately it's huge for how it's gone for McDermott as well. I think McDermott has done more than enough to, to keep the job now, but I remember thinking that, and I still do to this day, that when he broke the drought his first year here, 9-7, and seven, yeah, they kind of backed their way in. They were really based off of defensive turnovers, and, and there was the, you know, the whole Nathan Peterman debacle where he was put in against the Chargers and uh, you know five interceptions later. But I thought at that time it opened up a window for McDermott and Bean both to make some mistakes. And when I say that, I'm not saying like I thought they were going to be bad at their jobs. But what I thought it did was open up a window that if the quarterback did not hit, because that was the thing going into that in, into that offseason, it's quarterback time. That 2018 draft class, I will never forget it because of all the talk leading into it. The fact that it was compared to in 1983 with the likes of John Elway, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, Tony Easton, and Ken O'Brien. The fact that it was really, really compared to the 04 class with Eli, Philip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger. And if you're feeling fancy, J.P. Lossman. I will never forget that draft class. And my big takeaway from making the playoffs was not that I ever thought the Bills would beat Jacksonville. I didn't care. I know a lot of Bills fans that didn't care. It was like, cool, no, no, we're back in the playoffs. We feel nationally relevant again, and now we're going to go get our quarterback. I Like any Bills fan I remember talking to that year, and I went to school in Pennsylvania for much of that season or for much of the season prior, and then I was back home. And so I, was, I, I still had friends in Pennsylvania who we were talking, you know, we were talking back and forth. A lot of us were sports fans. And that was their whole thing, too, is it doesn't matter for you guys. Like, you guys made the playoffs, fantastic, now go get your quarterback. And that was my feeling, was, cool, we made the playoffs, just don't embarrass us, and we'll go get our quarterback. Now, ultimately, the playoff game is, is one of the worst watches of all time. What did it end, like 10-3? It was one of the worst playoff games I've ever watched in my life. I would imagine it's not yet 10-3. I'd imagine it's not going to get much worse than that in my lifetime. I really hope it doesn't. But then the 2018 class came around. And now it just became like, get the guy you want. I'm, I've, I've openly said this a few times, not enough times where it's become now known, but I was a Sam Darnold guy going into that class. I like Josh Allen. I liked his story. I was very nervous after watching him a few times in college because I would, I would end up getting the Wyoming games. And I w- I'm a draft junkie. That's, w- that's who I am. So I would watch like as many Wyoming games as I could. I watched his Boise State game the year prior when they beat, you know, the first ranked Boise State or uh, Wyoming beat their first ranked opponent like 20 years or something like that. I watched them play Iowa and I, I, you know, a few other games here. And I watched the bowl game against, I want to say it was Western or Central Michigan. I watched the famous Idaho Potato Bowl where Allen played incredibly well. But I was worried, not because I thought Allen was a bad prospect. I still was in the thought process that the Bills were an awful organization that couldn't progress anybody. And I loved Sam Darnold after his Rose Bowl performance against Penn State. I, that was my guy. I was like, I'm Sam Darnold. I, I'm all in. That's my guy. Rosen, I was less so on. I rem- I will never forget this. Like just sitting and watching the draft with my dad, and we both, you know, we're seeing all five quarterbacks come around, and they're all getting interviewed, and, and we see Rosen, and my dad like just stunned goes he can't even fill out a suit he can't he can't survive here 
just because we had a bad offensive line going into the year, and he's like, he's going to die. He can't survive here. And I that's that has stuck with me forever of like just Josh Rosen apparently being too skinny. And I was just like, yeah, no, you're right. Like I don't, I he can't move either. Like I'm out on this. But a lot of this is kind of all started with a weather game. Like I like I this season sticks in my head, and a, and a lot of it is two games. Obviously the Nathan Peterman game, but then the weather game. Now, the Bills are far different now. This is back in 2017. We're in 2022 now. The Bills are a perennial playoff team. Now it kind of feels like we're just waiting for the playoffs to arrive. Every game does not have this like end-all, be-all sort of feeling to it, even though many of us, including myself included, do treat it as such. But there's not this finality to it that Every game in 2017 or even 2016 had this feeling of if we lost one game, it was like, oh, now looking ahead to the schedule, you're like, we're going to lose like three in a row. This is terrible. The like, playoffs are gone. Now this year, you know, they're 10 and three. And we're all complaining because they're 10 and three. They don't look good enough. And now we're going into another weather game. But this game is important. I mentioned at the top of the hour that while this doesn't shut the door on the AFC East, if the Bills win, they put some ground in between them and the Dolphins. The Dolphins have to make that ground up. The Bills don't need to. The Bills can kind of just keep going, and they're good. And the comments that the Dolphins have made, we'll talk a little bit about this in the next segment, I would imagine, as well. I don't got enough time to talk about how I the Dolphins' comments this week have just kind of stunned me a little bit. But I'm just I'm very surprised by a team in South Florida is just so brazenly kind of talking about the cold. Like, it isn't an honest-to-God factor. You, when you go to places like Lambeau and Buffalo, I'd even throw Cleveland in there. Pittsburgh, I'd throw in there. Nighttime, in December, and it is frigid cold, and the snow is coming down. You are telling me a team from South Florida, with many of its players who are coming from Southern schools. You're telling me they're not a little nervous? And it was it was more... It was more to his comments about it snowed in Alabama. Ross Tucker was on today with Sheldon Bulldog, and he, he outright said it was not the right answer that Tua should have given. And I could not agree more. Tua is a guy that comes from Hawaii. Beautiful state. Constantly great weather. I think they sit around 75 degrees all year, and they peak around 85. It is the most perfect climate in the world. He then goes... To Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where sure, it snowed like one time your freshman year. And then he gets drafted by the Miami Dolphins. I'm not saying you've got to be totally, completely honest and tell people, yeah, the snow's probably going to affect us a little bit. But at least be honest in the sense of, yeah, I don't really have a ton of experience in snow. You know who didn't either until like, what, two years ago? Patrick Mahomes. Born and raised in Texas, played his ball at Texas Tech, and then it snowed hard in Kansas City. I, it was a late season game, I want to say two years ago. Had to have been the year they won the Super Bowl. And he goes out and lights it up. Now it's not, you know, this kind of where it's at night, and it's all kind of starting all at like one time, and you know, I think three to seven inches is being reported at the time the game is going to kick off. But Mahomes kind of proved the doubters wrong that, you know, yes, you can come from Texas, but you can win in snow. Now, Kansas City is not Buffalo. I understand that. But he had that sort of, he had that kind of, I guess, image of himself at that point. Not Nothing due to what Mahomes had done up to that point. But when you play in Texas your whole life, 
you've never dealt with snow. Tua has honestly never dealt with snow. Much of the Dolphins have not really dealt with snow. They've not dealt with the cold. Jordan Poyer talked about this as well. Sal brought it up that when he was in Cleveland and they they played a game up in uh, here in Buffalo and they and they'd come in and they felt the chill hit them when they got off their bus so they're playing one of the two and he immediately said he goes, "Yeah, I don't want to be here. I want to go home." That's a thing. I hate this weather. I'm I'm openly a winter hater. I can't stand it. I'm not a snow fan. It's not because I hate shoveling. That's part of it, but it's not the only thing. I just don't like it. I don't like the cold. I like being warm. It's where I'm best at. I am best in the summertime. I know a lot of people hate it because they're like, I, you know, I'm sweating all that. No, that is where I am perfect and I love it and I'm happy. But there is a thing of of living and being raised here. Now, a lot of these guys are not born and raised here. Understandable. But they have lived here. They have gone through now a few winters, or even just the rookies this year have gone through one hell of a snowstorm already. It's different now. They're not going to wake up and see that snow and go, ooh, how are we going to deal with this? They're going to go, all right, let's get to work. Let's get this over with so I can go home. It's not the same feeling for these guys that it would be, or that it will be for the Dolphins. Tua already is coming in with not the greatest of arm strengths. And there's going to be wind, 10 to 15 miles per hour. And he's already looked off for two straight weeks. Bulldog has talked about it this week on Show the Bulldog, how he's just, he's not, he's not nervous. He's not willing to bet the house, but he's not nervous. He thinks that the Bills could potentially drop 35 on the Dolphins. I don't know if I'm there in the sense that I feel like the Bills offense can put up that kind of number in this weather. I've seen them do it in bad weather before. Don't get me wrong. I think it could happen. But a part of me is like prepared for the Dolphins to get embarrassed on Saturday night. All of their comments does feel like a team that is trying to talk themselves into being prepared for the weather and not actually being prepared for said weather. Tui even talked about it this week with the media basically outright saying that if he's focused on the cold, then he's focusing on the wrong things. And I don't agree with that. I think if you ignore a problem or if you ignore an obstacle and just say, well, if I don't, if, you know, if I focus on that, I'm not going to be able to get through this. No, no, no. Focus on what you're going to do to get through said obstacle so that it is no longer an obstacle. This is a, this is jargon you hear in sports all the time of, I can't focus on that. I don't listen to this. And I just, I keep going forward. That's a lie. Or if you're being honest about it, it's a poor way to go about it. I'm not saying listen to all all criticism, and I'm not saying to, to focus on every bit of a problem the exact same way with the equal amount of time. But you do have to focus on the weather. You are a high octane powered, you know, air raid offense. You have got to focus on the weather a little bit. Because if you don't, you're gonna walk into hostile territory. A night game in Buffalo with the AFC East on the line, and you will not be prepared for it. Buffalonians are crazy people. Every one of them that will be at that stadium is a slightly crazy person. Wear that with honor. That is a badge of honor. But at times, I don't think these these warm-weather teams are really ever prepared for that. It's been a running joke, but I do think it's an honest thing to look at. They had air conditioning going, or they had they had heaters in a dome when they played the Chargers because it was 55 degrees in L.A. 
that team, simply put, is not ready for this weather. Even a little bit. I've had my complaints about the Bills so far this year. They're 10-3, and three, yes, but they haven't been really pretty. And I, for, for me, they started the season much hotter than where they're at now. And I, while I don't think this is a get-right game because of said weather, I, you know, I'm not expecting them to put up 35. I do think this is a game where the Dolphins' season completely falls off a cliff. They've already lost two in a row. They're 8-5. and five. They lose on Saturday. They're 8-6, and six, and they are treading water at best. They will not be able to recover. They could recover in terms of being a playoff team. But for the most part, they're going to have to go to North. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Southern cities in the cold in the playoffs. They're not going to host a playoff game. And I just, I don't see how they handle it well. Not after the comments they've made. And I like Mike McDaniel. But we want it colder? Dude, your team just had heaters in Los Angeles. You clearly don't. Going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the Cole Beasley addition on the offense. What I think he can do for set offense for the next few weeks. And also, what's going on with the rookies on offense? Shakir and Cook specifically, what's going on there? And we'll also do a little bit of a pre-pre-game for the Sabres. Talk a little Tage Thompson and, of course, the emergence of of the kid line. We'll do that when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for the next half hour before we get you over to Sabres pregame with Brian Koziel and Paul Hamilton. The Sabres taking on the Colorado Avalanche tonight at 9 p.m. Start a little bit of an out west trip. I think they got Arizona on Saturday and then Vegas, I want to say, on Monday or Tuesday. Jack Eichel's still on IR. That's kind of kind of takes a little bit of the luster out of that game, doesn't it? I I don't want to say Vegas has become a rival for the Sabres. They haven't at least in terms of like on Vegas' side of things, but like I really do just enjoy those games because I just enjoy watching the Sabres fans boo Eichel and even like you know here if it's in Vegas, like now it's got that little bit extra oomph to it. I like those naturally built rivalries. We're talking a little bit about that today on Shulman Bulldog. 
Mike and, and Mike and Bulldog were talking about the potential of the NHL sort of changing up how it does scheduling and maybe, you know, you know, closer regions, you know, playing each other to make to essentially force make rivalries. I hate that. I, I really I don't like force made rivalries. To me, the best rivalry in professional sports, it's different in college, but in professional sports, I like those ones that are kind of fleeting. That they're really, really intense for like a five to ten year window. That you have this said group of players and they hate each other. And so the city starts to hate that team as well. And it plays into it. And there's still that lingering bit as as, as you go further on. And the years go by. But those are my favorite rivalries because there's an intense hatred there. It is not built on fighting and you know seeing five or six fights a game or, or a ton of hits. It is built on success and fighting each other in the sense of on the scoreboard. But... Those to me are my favorite rivalries in sports where it's just, it's built naturally either by a player being traded. If we're talking Sabres in Vegas or, you know, keeping with hockey, we're just the two best teams in our conference. Look to Colorado and Detroit back in, what was that? The late eighties, early nineties. I like those ones of, we're not necessarily really close to each other, but we hate each other because the other one's there. Bills and Chiefs has kind of become a rivalry. It's a little more friendly, but there's still this, like, I just, I want the Chiefs to lose. You pay attention to their news. You pay attention to their games. There's a little bit there. Now, of course, in football, 32 teams, four teams per division, it makes it a little bit better to have rivalries. That's where, you know, a lot of people, not my age group, but you know, a lot of the older Bills fans hate the Dolphins. I'm growing into that hatred of the Dolphins. I talked about it earlier this week that I'm, I was... So excited for this game because I finally had understood the Dolphin hatred. For years, I had grown up. They just were not that good. They did not matter. Now, all of a sudden, they matter. And I really, really enjoy that idea of beating them, of paying attention to them, of seeing them be a disaster. I really, really enjoy that. Before we went to break, talked a little bit about some of our you know favorite weather game moments. You know, I, I know a ton of people have gone to weather games and they have some of their favorite memories as Bills fans or football fans or or what have you. So I, I tweeted out, what's your favorite Bills weather game moment? What like what's the one for you that you just you have such a great memory? We got a few coming in. One I, makes sense to me. This is my brother's as well. Patriots playoff game. I have to take layers off because I was overheating just how crazy I was going. I've heard that from a lot of people. I, I know how you know, cold it was. I've heard that from a ton of people I know that went where they were just like, it was so hectic and people were jumping all over each other. You were never standing still that people were taking off their heavy coats. Of course, the famous video now of Brian Fitzpatrick in the heated area, by the way, I, I, I don't want to throw slander, but like he was like well heated there. He had no shirt on, but that was like a ton of fun. Like that's kind of what you want when you know, everything's going crazy. We're like, yes, it's cold. And no one remembers it's as cold as it is. But I do want to transition a little bit more to the game. Of course, as all of you are probably well aware of, the Bills brought back wide receiver Cole Beasley. I'm not here to talk about his stuff off the football field. To me personally, I don't agree with a lot of it. I don't agree with basically almost any of it. That's not here what, I'm, what I'm here to talk about. And it maybe is a bit hypocritical, but I do want to just talk about the football player. Because to me, at least where I'm at right now, I don't always have to love the players I root for. Many of them I do. Many of them I have a blast, you know, kind of essentially covering every day and hearing from them with the media. I have a blast with it. 
but I don't have to love all of them, and that's more than okay, and I'm fine with that. And it feels more, it feels more real to life. I, sports have kind of fluctuated from being that sort of fantasy world where you can kind of escape a little bit for you know a few hours and just enjoy something. It's 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 much closer to being a blended reality than it used to be, and I'm I, I like that more. To me, it's more realistic and it's more honest, especially with how so many people are so passionate about sports. It feels like it should. But talking about the Cole Beasley wide receiver, the football player, not the person, but the wide receiver, the football player for the Buffalo Bills, what can he mean for this offense? It's not official that he's going to play this week. He's still technically on the practice squad. However, I think it's basically assured he is going to play. What does that mean, though? The weather doesn't help us really get a, a clear understanding of this either. I think number one, though, the obvious one, he's going to help out on third downs. He's going to help out in the third and shorts where you could just boom, 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 get the ball out quick. The offensive line for the Bills has been a really worrying concern for the last three years. It's just never been great. They have pretty good pieces. I like Mitch Morris. I like Deion Dawkins. After that, I would be happy to have all of them replaced. That includes Ryan Bates. That includes Spencer Brown. You go through the names. I'll probably want the guys replaced. Roger Saffold, David Questenberry. It doesn't matter. They're at best turnstiles, and at worst, they're complete liabilities. Colby's is going to help get the ball out quick. First down and third down especially. Third downs we're seeing far too often now with the Bills offense where it's just there's no one open, no routes are able to develop, and Josh has got to go. First down, you're kind of seeing the same thing. And with no reliable slot option, James Crowder gets hurt, Isaiah McKenzie just not a reliable slot option in the slightest. The Bills offense has taken a bit of a turn. Now, what I do want to talk about this, because I'm not saying anything new when I do talk about Colby's like that. No one is sitting here going, well, I had no idea that was his role. No one is saying that. Instead, I want to talk a little bit about what this could mean for Khalil Shakir and James Cook, two rookies that for many people in during the preseason, there was this feel that like they could really, really help a already Super Bowl favorite team on offense. Cook has had his moments of sort of getting involved in the offense more and really, really becoming someone of his own. Khalil Shakir, on the other hand, is just, he's getting lost. In, in the shuffle, and for me, I, I kind of wanted more look at Shakir, because for Cook, it's more, yeah, he's a receiver, yeah, we, a lot of us thought he could be in the slot, but I think the Bills really want him to be a dual-threat running back rather than just have his singular role, which I think is what a lot of his rookie year has gone to, is really learning to be a traditional running back. At Georgia, he got lost in the shuffle, but he had one elite trait, and that was he was effectively a wide receiver in the backfield, and they used him to be that. And it worked, and he was great. He was still a second-round pick. But I think that's kind of what his role is going to be. The Bills really want him to be a dual-threat running back. I'm fine with that, but for right now, it's going to be a mixture of him and Singletary. I think we could see a, a really healthy mix of those two on Saturday. Shakir, though. Shakir, for me, is very, very frustrating. I thought he was spectacular in the preseason. And I know that's kind of who cares a little bit, but to me, he looked like such a natural receiver that I could not wait to see more of him. And yet, the last time it felt like, oh, he's really, he's becoming something, was Pittsburgh. October 9th. He had five targets, three receptions, 75 yards, and a touchdown. He had a 31-yard catch. He was playing well. 
And the week prior against Baltimore, game I went to, two targets, two catches, 23 yards. And then Kansas City, two targets, one catch, 14 yards. Then the bye. And since he has basically gone completely silent against Green Bay, two targets, no catches. Minnesota, two targets, one catch for six yards. New England, one catch, one target for 10 yards. And last week, one target, no receptions. Obviously, zero yards against the Jets. I want to see Shakir more because I think there's a really, really, really good receiver in there, even if he's a fifth-round rookie. But it seems they're just they're having such trouble getting him on the field. And a part of me is, is sitting here now, obviously having watched this offense for, what are we at now? We're in week 15, so for 14 weeks, they're having a tough time getting Dawson Knox the football. They were having trouble getting James Cook the football, having trouble getting Isaiah McKenzie the football. Gabe Davis, because of some of his drop issues, has had issues getting the football. The only guy that seems to have been reliably able to get the ball week in and week out has been Stephon Diggs. So for me, I'm still sitting here going, I don't know if this is actually Khalil Shakir's fault. It still kind of feels like, uh, is this potentially more of a fault of where the offense is at? Are they having too much of kind of a, confusing offense where it's this has been a discussion we've had a lot on post game shows on our on our you know weekly shows of what is going on with the offense and this is where I well I think Cole Beasley is going to absolutely help the offense because there is a trust there between Allen and Beasley it I'm still frustrated And I think we'll all still continue to be frustrated at the lack of the ball being able to be successfully spread around. That while Beasley will help out on some of these third downs, are we going to have the reliable options coming up? Maybe we will. Maybe this drops Davis back down to maybe more of his more comfortable of a third wide receiver. Maybe getting singled up a little bit more. Maybe that frees him up to go deep. Because guys have to drop back in coverage. They can't just send everybody and basically go, we can beat this offensive line, and we just won't let any of the routes develop. That's been a huge issue for the Bills. But for me right now, I'm still I'm still frustrated at the lack of use of this rookie class. Mainly because, as well, I liked a lot of these receivers in this class that I thought the Bills could have gotten. If they either traded back into the second round because they didn't really like anyone available in the first, or... They just bit the bullet and took a guy like a Christian Watson at 23rd, 24th overall in the draft instead of the first pick in the second round like he did go to Green Bay. Now, with that being said, it wouldn't have really fixed many of the issues in terms of the slot, in terms of the offensive line. So maybe bringing back Cole Beasley is exactly what this offense needed. And maybe we're going to find out that when Allen has his slot option, guys like Davis are opened up more. Diggs goes from having a career year to a historic year. Maybe. But as much as I think this play and this this problem is potentially being fixed by Cole Beasley, even though we didn't see a ton from Tampa, but I, I don't know if that was totally him or just more of everything's going wrong in Tampa. Nothing looks good there, so I'm not I'm not willing to put that all on him. I'm still concerned and I'm still a little bewildered at the fact that these rookies who are very talented and showed off a lot in the preseason are just not able to be regularly involved now going into week 15 of of the NFL season. It's getting very, very frustrating that I think there is talent there, talent above some guys who have not been playing well. I know a lot of people, we've heard calls 
it feels like since week three of people wanting to see Isaiah McKenzie benched, lose some reps to maybe a guy like Khalil Shakir, and yet it is yet to happen. And it is getting frustrating, especially when your first round pick in Kyer Elam is a healthy and active. We'll see if he plays this week. He played last week, no defensive snaps, one special team snap. We'll see if he plays this week. But it is getting very frustrating how the rookie class is going, and it does feel like. And I'm okay that it smells of desperation. I have no problem with the Bills being desperate. I have a problem if the Bills are desperate and don't try to adjust, try to react. This is them reacting, getting John Brown, getting Cole Beasley. It is them reacting to being desperate. I would be more concerned and I'd be more angry if they were clearly desperate at the wide receiver position and just kept throwing out the same guys. But with that being said, before we got to this point, I would have liked to have seen someone like a Khalil Shakir really get an honest look as the team's maybe starting slot receiver before we got to this point of essentially having to have Beasley go to Bean and say, hey, I kind of want to come out of retirement. Josh like literally texts me, you know, hey, we need him. I'd have liked us to have tried something else before we got to that point. Going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll do a little pre-pre-game for the Buffalo Sabres. They're getting ready to take on the Colorado Avalanche tonight at 9. The rise of Tage Thompson, the development of the kids line with Cousins, Quinn, and Paterka. We'll talk a little bit about that before we get you off to Sabres pre-game with Brian Kozil and Paul Hamilton right here on WGR. Welcome back. Gonna wrap up the show here on a wonderful Thursday night as we head into Sabres pregame with Brian Koziel and Paul Hamilton as the Sabres get ready to take on the Colorado Avalanche without Nathan McKinnon, by the way. Later tonight at nine, pregame starting in about ten minutes, right here on WGR at eight. And before we leave, I do want to talk a little bit about the Sabres, their development. I know they're not in a playoff spot. I don't imagine they will make the playoffs this year. I do want them to make trades to potentially take advantage of this scoring the team has done. But with that being said, I want to talk about the scoring. I want to talk about the superstar that is Tage Thompson. 44 points. He's third in the NHL in points behind Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. You mean the two guys who were the only thing, the, the only reason Edmonton is even remotely a salvageable franchise? He's with those guys? He is spectacular. He is an unbelievable talent to watch. And I just, I, and I feel bad because I don't think I do it enough either, but like we don't talk enough about H. Thompson's development because it is crazier than Josh Allen's. I, I've said it before on the show, but Josh Allen at least had the development of, yeah, but like, if he becomes great, like there was always that caveat with Allen. If you were covering him for the draft, there was always this feeling of Josh Allen's a kind of a cruddy prospect for the now, but he has the potential to be a freak of nature. Tate Thompson was just a six, seven forward that like apparently couldn't move or, or didn't have a shot or just made bad turnovers. There was nothing really positive about him except for his size, which for many people, you heard his size and you thought differently of how he should actually play. You thought he should be more of a bruiser, more of a bully. Instead, he looks to be one of the most skilled players in the NHL. Every goal feels like a highlight real goal. And now he's gotten to a point that just, he has patches of ice that just feel he's untouchable. His slap shot from the corner is just getting untouchable. And that's not even to mention the rise of the kids line 
That's how, that's how I keep putting it. But the Cousins, Quinn, and Paterka line, I never want the move. That's not a new take. I know a lot of people have it. But Dylan Cousins, to me, I, I him I want to talk about, especially with this, because I, I never thought Cousins could be that pop offensive player. I thought he was going to be a little more gritty, more of the heart guy. He'd have a few plays here and there. His shot was always underrated. But, you know, he would never take that next leap. He's at 30 points right now. Tied with Alex Tuck for third on the team. Tage leads it, of course, with 44. Darlene with 33. And then Cousins with 30. Tuck with 30. Cousins now feels like a guy that is going to push like 75 points. Where I thought maybe at max he would top out. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Maybe 60. Maybe 60. He's at 10 goals, but it's his passing. That second-line passing has been so good. The Quinn to Paterka back and forth they did last or the other night when, during the sixth goal third period was just phenomenal. And I know we're waiting for a goalie, and I know it's frustrating, and it is, and I'm sitting here saying it as well. But with Devin Levi coming up, and we still have no idea what will happen during the trade deadline. That's, I think, likely when a trade is being made. But they're flirting, they're hanging around, and they're a team that no one in the NHL actually wants to play right now because there's always this feel, and there is this feel now with them, that in a given moment, they could kill you. L.A. probably felt alive. They felt pretty good going to that third period, and then they lit them up for six goals. They're a ton of fun to watch. I'm absolutely going to watch tonight's game. It starts at 9, so it's a little bit later, which is you know more advantageous for me to kind of just hang out, relax, and watch it. But it should be good. They're taking on the Colorado Avalanche. No Nathan McKinnon tonight for the Avalanche. It's going to be at 9. But coming up next, right after this quick timeout, Sabres pregame with Brian Koziel and Paul Hamilton. That's coming up next right here on WGR. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties 
Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.